Good morning, everyone. And thank you so much for joining us in our services. Thank you, Pastor Kenneth and our music team for leading us in our service. And we pray that every gathering of God's people will indeed be a blessing. And uh, you have continued to encourage us by just turning up here week after week. You are the brave ones. You want to turn to people and say, you are the brave ones. You can't speak. So, uh, how's your marriage if you are married? How's your family? if you belong to a family, and all of us do. Here's the story of uh, Chantel Dole. And uh, she went out, I think, surfboarding 30 meters from shore at Shelley Beach at Port Macquarie in New South Wales. And as she was out there on the surfboard 30 meters from shore at Shelley Beach, all of a sudden she felt something grab her and she fell violently, suddenly into the water. You would have guessed, it's a great white shark. A husband was near her, and what do you think he did? He jumped in and repeatedly punched the great white shark until it released his wife. By that time, the damage done to her, her right calf and the back of her thigh, was totally lacerated, and, but by God's grace, she was safe. Made me reflect, if Mona fell into water and the great white shark, what would I do? should make you wonder. Make you wonder about what? About the marriage vows. We just did a wedding yesterday. By God's grace, we do 30 to 40 weddings a year. Over the last 10, 20 years, there's a whole lot of weddings and a whole lot of children that God has blessed us with, which we never take for granted. And as we make those vows, I always remind them to say, by God's will, I will. By God's grace, I will keep these vows. Because left to yourself and myself, we have no ability, no fidelity to keep whatever promises we make to God and to each other. So if your spouse fell into the water, will you beat that shark or would you leave your wife or husband to that shark? It takes us back to wedding vows and the fidelity. So people who read this story, right, it's not a made-up story, it's because it's a true account of this, and responses, right? From, from the readers. Elizabeth, one of the responses. Taking one's vows seriously, well done, Mark. Name of her husband was Mark. Rebecca, another reader. This is what nearly all men would do for women. Let's stop the appalling assault on the male sex with labels such as toxic masculinity for one. You know, there's a huge debate flowing from the West to the East about privileged male and patriarchy. You may not realize, but this is a constant attack. The toxicity, toxicity of masculinity, the toxicity of marriages, the toxicity of fidelity. And we don't watch it, the toxicity of God. That God and believe in God is toxic to your life. That He puts so many OB markers around you. So let's get rid of this silly idea called God. Not get rid of God, but get rid of the silly idea of God. You may get rid of the silly idea of God, but you will not get rid of God. When you read the book of Exodus, it's not about the toxicity of God in Israel's life. It's about the fidelity and the beauty and the majesty that God had chosen to work through one nation. And through this one nation, He's going to bring something beautiful out of your life and my life, your fallen life, your sinful life, your disobedient life, 
the ugliness of this world. And so as we read Exodus today, what are we going to do? We're going to try and plunge in firstly to Exodus 40. And then we're going to summarize with some key enduring lessons. And it's about the freedom of slavery. The freedom of slavery. Have I got the title wrong? Are you sitting in the wrong talk this morning? No. The freedom of slavery, in what sense? We're going to look at how Exodus begins and how Exodus ends. Let me see. Get this right. How Exodus begins and ends. And then look at one or two enduring God lessons, gospel lessons. So how does Exodus end? Exodus ends this way. You know, if you read the Bible passage just then, and you're struck by anything, the repeated word in every verse was, the repeated word in every verse was cloud. Did you notice? And so the commentary that we are reading had a good summary of this. I'm just going to still borrow all he wrote because it blessed my heart when I read it. So there's firstly the cloud of Advent. He used an old English word. If I say Advent, would you understand it? I had to Google it myself. Is it, would my young people understand this word? The, the arrival of God finally with Israel, with the tabernacle. Then the cloud of holiness. And because of God's holiness, He accepts and He rejects. And then there's a cloud of guidance that God will indeed be there for a purpose. And this leads us to a grand conclusion. This is the cloud of forever glory. We're going to take a look at this in different ways, but here's the Bible passage. Firstly, the cloud of arrival. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And I had, as I read that, the, the word that's there, finally, finally. You know why finally? To really understand the context of what's happening here in chapter 40, verse 30, 34, is this. You need to understand that Exodus is, is in two parts. Exodus 1 to 18 is how God redeemed them from slavery to Pharaoh to Egypt to a nation committed to idolatry. That's the gist of it. How God released them, redeemed them from idolatry. And for the next 20 chapters, from chapters 20 to 40, where we arrive now, how God has redeemed them for the worship of the true and the living God. That's the contrast. You either worship the idols of your life the fake idols of your life, or you worship the true and the living God. That's vitally important for us to realize. But why finally? Did you realize? Take a look at this outline. Then from Exodus 35 onwards, God gave detailed instructions about every aspect about this tabernacle, the preparation for it, the construction of it, and now finally the assembling of it as the priest got ready, this place was ready, and you ask yourself, what for? What for? Ultimately, it's for a purpose. And we're going to be reminded of that purpose again. And so go back to what I said earlier. Finally, the tabernacle is completed. Finally, the cloud of God's presence rests upon the tabernacle, which is smack in the middle of the 12 nations. So how many of you are contracted to, to renovate your home and as you contracted to renovate your home, it was just before COVID-19 and COVID-19 hit. I met quite a few people in ARPC itself and beyond ARPC. Oh, Pastor Chris, you know, we want to renovate our flat. We bought a new resale flat. We want to move in. We bought a new place. We want to do some, some works there. And guess what? COVID hit. 
So we never, the contractor never came. And so we lived the last six months, the last one and a half years, out of boxes. Have you lived out of boxes? It's very disorienting. Nothing can, you can't settle into a rhythm of life. And then I meet them now, finally with the relaxation of rules. Workers could come back, and then they finish the renovation. Finally, finally, when you finish an abode, when you finish a dwelling, finally, there is some rest. The tabernacle was built so that Israel would finally rest with God as God rests in her presence. And that rest would be symbolized by the weekly practice of them keeping the Sabbath day. That's why the instructions ended with keep the Sabbath day. The construction begins with keep the Sabbath day. If you do not know anything, Israel, about the Sabbath day, it's your sign of God dwelling with you and you dwelling with Him and you responding to Him. So the cloud of arrival, this has finally happened. This is God's dwelling place on earth, His palace on earth. Secondly, is the cloud of holiness. And why the cloud of holiness? Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. You read this, if you've been following the storyline up to this point, didn't God allow, didn't God call from Exodus chapter 3 and allowed Moses to meet him? He called him and the first calling in Exodus 3 is, come, but take off your sandals, you are on holy ground. And God met him again and again at Mount Sinai. Seven times he ascended and descended. Seven times he ascended. And so why? At the completion of the tabernacle, he's not allowed to enter. Because there are different moments in the one movement of salvation. There are different moments in the one mission of redemption. Before God gave instructions and this was finally constructed, his one-to-one -one meeting was with Moses was on God's terms. You are on a holy ground. You will come to me when I allow you. You will not step in. Whoever you bring, your elders, they can only come that far. You have that meal at Mount Sinai. It's a halfway point. You can't come any closer. And even if you bring Aaron to you, he can't come any closer. The access to a holy God is, is carefully guarded. Isn't that true? Do you know how much they spend guarding the president of the USA? The Secret Service? I didn't Google this, but you can Google this afterwards. It's... It's tons of money. It's hundreds of millions of dollars. I wouldn't be surprised if it ran to billions. How much do you think they spend trying to protect that dictator in North Korea? How much do you think people spend protecting their kings through time and their prime ministers and presidents all around the world? If a mere human being's presence, access to the mere human being's presence, has to be so guarded because of their role in being head of state, you think you can just saunter up to God, the holy God, and say, I'm here? God will zap you dead because of your sinfulness. You have presumed on your rightfulness to enter into His holiness. The tabernacle is to cut off 
from the outer court to the holy place, to the holy of holies, is to wean you off sinfulness before you enter by the priest representing you to approach his holiness. So the cloud of holiness, by the time the tabernacle is built, God exists as the celestial bouncer even to Moses. Now, together with his nation, they will enter on the same terms. And whatever you do not know, here's a new definition of worship, which is quite different from the popular definition of worship out there. And when I heard this and read this from my Bible college lecturer years and years ago, it stuck with me. Worship is firstly something God does for us before it is anything we do for God. You want to write that down somewhere? Worship is firstly something God does for us. He makes himself totally acceptable. If, they, if God didn't open the way of accessibility, you and I would have zero chance of knowing this holy God. Agree? Before worship is anything that Along here, Chris, Daniel, can bring to God, worship is, God, is what God determines. Worship is not what I determine. You determine. So please don't stand there because there's some theology going around in a lot of songs and Hill songs carry a lot of it. That I come into your presence with the songs that we sing. The songs that you sing do not bring you into God's presence. The prayers that you pray do not bring you into God's presence. It's God's atoning of you. First, it's something He does for you to cleanse you and me from our sin before you can bring songs or prayers, let alone your life to Him. It's very important. And so we need to understand this. He has arrived in our midst. This is our national relationship with Yahweh. This is the national way to approach Him. No other way but through the tabernacle. And then there's the cloud of guidance. Why cloud of guidance? Throughout all their journeys, notice not some of their journeys, not most of their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. So cloud taken up, people set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. Whatever you do not understand of this, the lesson must be clear. God consenting to dwell in the presence of His people, Israel, was this. Everything has to be done according to God and His word to fulfill His will. If God says to Israel, stop, you stop. If God says to Israel, stop and stay here for a while, you stay. If God says, go, you go. No matter how unknown, no matter how dangerous. So it's everything as God had directed. Notice when I read that verse to you, on all their journeys. You may say, I don't know, are you going for vacations? Or is it staycation? You may say of some of your journeys on, on that trip, huh? I really felt God was with me. That's one trip. But you've taken 50 trips in your life. You've done 50 holidays. But for 49 holidays, you never felt was God was with you. Israel can never say that. Israel must say every day, every trip, every journey, 
God was with us. Amen? So I took this from the commentator. If that is true, then Israel's response was not to look for guidance out there, out where? Out around them in Canaan. For us, we are not to look for guidance out there in, on social media, on the internet with Mr. Google. We are to wait for guidance. Because for Israel, the guidance had been given where? In chapter 20. The ten words of God, the ten commandments. Then after chapter 20, from 21 to 25, all the fine print of what the ten commandments summarize as love God with all your heart and mind and soul, no other gods but Him. And then love your neighbour as yourself. You shall not envy neighbour of anything of neighbour in any kind. And then here's the fine print. If you wrong neighbour, this is what you do. If neighbour wrongs you, this is what you do. Israel didn't, didn't need to look for guidance out there. She just needed to wait for guidance from God. And I just want to labour the point about waiting. The doctrine about waiting. The big word is perseverance. You know how hard it is to wait. Have you ever told, how many of you are dog lovers? One of the hardest things to train your dog to do is stay. <laughs> right? You may stay at home, no distractions, but you bring a dog out there, right? you jolly well make sure your dog is well trained because there are so many distractions around. Sees, here's a sound, here's a truck, sees a cat, sees a... a a different thing out there, and it's distracted. Stay. You ever say to your young children from young, stay? And your children say, yes. From young. Right? The three, four-year-old, stay. Don't go anywhere. Yes, mom. Very good. Wonderful, dad. Good advice. It's so hard. Right? You ever waited for things? When you see a queue for anything, for food, for restaurants, for air airplanes, for shopping. Do you look for the longest queue or the shortest queue? You say, Pastor Chris, common sense will tell you shortest queue. Why not try the longest queue? Because it may be very good for you. Very good for what? And so did you watch the Summer Olympics that almost didn't happen, the Tokyo Olympics? I'm sure we did. I like watching the Olympics simply to watch the brilliance of the human body made in God's image achieve sporting feat that's so incredibly glorious of God, glorifying of God. But there was a commercial that ran throughout the Olympics, right? obviously a sporting commercial, and it had this line. And what was the line? When you know what you want, waiting is not an option. Which tells you the messaging out there to the world is... Waiting is a vice. Waiting is a loser's proposition. If you ever have to wait for anyone or anything, it makes you angry. The message of the gospel, a very huge doctrine, a very huge thing, beginning with the life of Abraham and Sarah, with the patriarchs in Genesis, and now with Moses and his generation, was you got to wait on God. That waiting is a virtue. And Israel's journey of redemption, which becomes our lesson of our lessons of the journey of redemption, from slavery to idolatry to freedom, always re, always involves what? Our journey of redemption will always involve 
resting in the Lord, waiting for the Lord, watching for the Lord. Remember, Genesis is about the four patriarchs, their personal, their personal experiences with God. God made the promise to Abraham and Sarah, the forefather of our faith, that he will be blessed with children. He waited 25 years with his wife for that. You ever waited 20, 25, 30 years for something? That's the first understanding of the doctrine of waiting, the doctrine of perseverance. And when they gave up on waiting, they messed it up. Every time they gave up on waiting, they messed it up. The book of the second book of the Bible begins. And you see the people, and what does Moses, you're introduced to Moses in Exodus 2. And what does he do? He sees the suffering of his fellow man, and he kills an Egyptian. And what does God say to him? Well done, good and faithful Moses. God takes him out to Median, and for 40 years he learns to wait. Waiting, my friends. And look at Israel. When Moses was out at Mount Sinai, they waited, they waited, says, he's very late in coming back, Aaron. Has he forgotten us? Has he forgotten us? We better do something about the worship of God. Let's make the golden calf. You get the pattern? It's a gospel truth that our journey of redemption includes waiting for God. You and I don't go out there looking for more guidance besides the Bible. You and I don't go out there looking for more guidance besides Jesus. You wait for it. Wait for the Lord. And I've told you from this pulpit many times, there are some things I'm still waiting for 40 years after my conversion. There are some things I'm still waiting for 34 years into our marriage. There are some things I'm still waiting for 31 years of pastoring ARPC. Do you believe that? I'm praying the same prayers. I prayed 22 years for my mom to be saved. How long have you prayed for your parents? And have you put your father, your mother, your brother, your delinquent son into the too hard to redeem basket? Because you've waited too long? Waiting, my friends, is part and heart of the gospel. That's why our 5Gs for ALPC at Tengah is no joke. Right? Tricked from Hudson Taylor, who went to save Chinese people when everybody wanted to run out of China in the 1800s. God's work done God's way in God's time for God's glory will never lack His supply. The five things must all align. The five gospel stars must align equals to God's glory. Very important. So anyone here impatient? You want to turn to your neighbour and ask them, are you impatient? Actually, you don't need to ask them, you know they are. Be careful. Waiting is a virtue. Impatience is a vice. And that all leads up to the cloud of forever glory. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, verse 34. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire, a symbol of God's presence, was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel through all their journeys. Did you notice? No journey would ever have, would 
ever have the absence of God. And so if you do not know about why God asked for the tabernacle to be built, it was very simply for Him to dwell with His people, for them to dwell with Him, and then the glory of God is with them. They reach their most glorious when they meet the glorious God. That's how it ended. Can you remember, we started on this series in the early part of 2021. Can you remember how Exodus began? If I mention Exodus 1, can you give me a one-line summary of it? If I mention Exodus 2, can you give me a one-line summary of it? There's a pretty good way to remember your Bible. Chapter by chapter. And so Exodus 1 and 2, what is that about? When, as Exodus began, this is what we saw. The Hebrews living with endless slavery. Not just year after year, not decade after decade, but century after century, 430 years of endless slavery. Can you imagine that? You ask of any Hebrew in any generation, your, your, grand, your great-grandfather, what was he? Was he a, a lawyer, a doctor, a judge? A, no, he was a slave. You ask your grandfather, your, your, your grandfather, what was he? Was he a doctor, a lawyer, a politician, or a king, a baron, a ruler? No, he was also a slave. What about your father? Oh, he was also a slave. What do you call that? You are in permanent enslavement. And as the book opens, they live with untold oppression as Pharaoh changed his utopian dream of building the best empire at that time, using the best of man plus technology. And the untold oppression, unreasonable deadlines, remember? When he found out that the Hebrews were growing so much, he passed a, a decree of homicide, killed the babies, killed the male bones, oppress them, give them a higher target. You make the same bricks, but I don't give you any straw. Have you ever tried to cook anything without ingredients? Have you ever tried to buy anything without money? We call that oppression. If your boss tells you to meet an unreasonable deadline without giving you the resources, it kills your spirit. And then finally it kills you. And the whole human race is full of this. The Great Wall of China is really great as a tourist spot. You know how many hundreds of millions of Chinese died building that wall? You know how many hundreds of millions of people died building the pyramids and the Sphinx? That's the world that we live in. A world that we build our idolatrous dreams and then oppress each other. When, as Exodus began that way, it was a dead-end people. A people with no future. They actually had no present, let alone a future. Would you like to say to your children through this pandemic, I think now, now that they found this South African mutation, this, this variant, there is no future. You're never going back to school. You're never going to graduate. And if you graduated, there's no jobs for you. It's called a dead end. And they're totally inglorious because we were not meant to live that way. Pharaoh and empires are not meant to fake dreams and then oppress millions of people to accomplish that fake dream for their ego. And now we go to Egypt, oh, it's all wasting away. It's merely a tourist spot. But when they were building it, Every time we build our skyscrapers as in the Tower of Babel, we think we're doing the best thing to uplift 
the prosperity of our people, the, the happiness of our people. The history of humanity shows us that when we build dreams, we oppress others. So God was absent in their life and God had forgotten His covenant. You could say they were, as Exodus opens up, they were living under a cloud of godlessness. You wouldn't meet a Hebrew at that time in, De in Exodus 1 and 2 and say, I look at your life and you're so glorious. There was nothing glorious about their slavery, nothing glorious about their oppression. So what happened to Psalm 8? What is man that you're mindful of him? You made him a little lower than the angels and you crowned him with glory. God made us to bear his image from Genesis 3 onwards. It is inglorious when we forsake God. And so, this is how it began. Notice how it ends. It ends with the cloud of glory. It was inglorious for Israel to live that way. It was inglorious for Pharaoh and the Egyptians to oppress them that way, to dehumanize and deform them that way. There was nothing glorious in chapters 1 and 2. By the end of chapter 40, the glory of God was everywhere. The God who was absent is now present. And it all comes to pass, we move from inglorious lives to glory, how? By one thing and one thing only. God has a wonderful redemption plan. And the wonderful redemption plan is now all happening in one place. The wonderful redemption plan is all happening at the tabernacle. The tabernacle is the portable meeting place between God and His people. When they settle in the promised land after traveling from Mount Sinai to Canaan, they will build the more permanent temple in Jerusalem. As they build a permanent temple, it's to remind them, leave sinfulness, come to God holiness. Leave idolatry, come to the worship of God. Israel and Judah will fail God again and again until Jesus turns up as the true Israelite and Jesus proclaims, you destroy this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. Is Jesus the number one contractor of the world? Yes. He was not speaking about a new temple in Jerusalem. He was speaking about his resurrection body that through His resurrected body, He will be the meeting place. So the most happening place is now a person. The most happening person is Jesus Christ. Amen? Are you still with me? It's very important. It will always lead to Jesus. And then it makes a staggering statement that because of the finished work of Jesus who sits at God's right hand, the Father and the Son pour out His Holy Spirit into all believers so that we are empowered by the Spirit. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We can bring the glorious gospel from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And how do you know that's true? Because Singapore is the ends of the earth. How on earth did the glorious gospel that began in a tiny town of Bethlehem grew up in Nazareth? ever arrive in Singapore because Jesus is risen and His Spirit is poured out. That's the only reason missionaries carried it sacrificially 
to come from the bright lights of London to the swamps and the malaria of Malaya in the 1800s. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit to glorify God. This is profound theology that the Holy God lives in Antony. The Holy God lives in Yuki. The Holy God lives in Matthew. That the Holy God has consented to dwell in you, but only if you believe in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. So endearing lessons for us, actually could have ended there, right? Showing you how it ends, how it begins. It's all about the glory of God coming back to us, though we sin against God. But I thought to be faithful to God and to be faithful to you, I mustn't miss a very huge message of Exodus. And what is that? It's whether you and I are illegitimate or legitimate sons and daughters of God. Whether you and I are actually slave or free in this life and for eternal life. And it all boils down to our faith and obedience and our freedom. You notice how the construction ends? We said this last week. The people completed the tabernacle and they brought all the pieces to Moses and seven times is repeated in two cycles of seven between chapters 35 to 40. They obeyed, they obeyed everything God commanded through Moses. And what did we say last week? That's such a different description of Ethan, of Jonathan, of Chris. With a golden calf, I disobeyed, I disobeyed, I disobeyed. Now you describe me, I obeyed. They seem to have overcompensated for the building of the golden calf. And so it's vitally important. So faith, the truest expression of faith in God is obedience to God. Have you taken that down in learning from Exodus? The truest expression of faith in God is obedience to God. God says, let my people go. Pharaoh will let my people go. You just have faith in that. right? Moses, you just go and tell him. You tell him nine times, he wouldn't do it. But on the tenth time, he will do it. You know why? We're going to tell you why. So Moses, you step out in faith. You obey my word and I'll tell you why. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Children of Israel out of Egypt. He said, but I will be with you, God with him personally, and this shall be a sign for you personally. This is God and Moses one-to-one, -one, that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. In some of the versions of the Bible, you shall worship God on this mountain. Not wrong. The Hebrew word can be used. So to worship God is to serve God. To serve God is to worship God. And why is this so important? Because this doctrine, besides the one on perseverance and waiting, when God redeems us for a purpose, let's not miss this. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Imagine saying to the most powerful person of the world who should not listen to anyone, who does not have to listen to anyone. Thus says my God, the God of your slaves, let them go. No, he says, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go, that he might serve me or worship me. Pharaoh, if you refuse me, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. 
So the whole purpose of redemption is about God graciously, mercifully calling us His children. When we were illegitimate children of the rulers of this world, and illegitimate children of Satan who seduces us through the, through the rulers of this world. Big word that is there. When God redeems us, the Hebrew word is goel. When God redeems us, He saves Israel from being born slaves, B-O-N-D, but also can be born, B-O-R-N. Born slaves, born slaves to Egypt, to being born servants to God. The first is slavery. The second is freedom. When you, Israel, come and worship me and serve me on this mountain, you will really be free. Because it's the knowing of God and the worshipping of God that grants you freedom. The service of God is true freedom. That's why for those of us who know this, you have boundless energies to serve this God Bring the skilled craftsmen and will fill them with the Holy Spirit. Bring all the materials and they brought overflowing. God will have the last word in their life from beginning to end. If He calls, He will finish. And even the golden calf couldn't derail the building of the tabernacle. The tabernacle will be built and God will dwell with His people and He will dwell with them. They will be his sons. Israel will be God's sons. Legit sons. And why is that important? By the time you come to the New Testament, the finished work of redemption in Jesus is this. The finished work of redemption in Jesus, Paul the Apostle writes this. For freedom, Christ has set you free. Set you free from what? From Satan, from sin set you free from your own ideas of self-redemption, set you free from your own ideas of paradise, of happiness here on earth, thought through your own minds, built through your own hands, you will never find it. Freedom, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore, and do not submit anymore to a yoke of slavery. In their context in Galatians, some Judaizers that come in and say, you got Christ, right? you got Jesus. Praise God, you got Jesus. But do you have the law? Do you know what that is? When people come to you, you got Jesus. But do you have circumcision? But do you have the law? But do you have the second baptism? But have you been slain in the Spirit? But do you have, do you have, do you have? If you have Christ, you have everything. You don't need anything else. Jesus plus is a heresy. You have Christ, but have you kept the law? Because we Jews had the law. So we are sonship plus. Yours, Gentiles, is sonship minus. What does that make you feel? Second class as the children of God. They will get in. I may get in. And Paul says to them, there is no such thing. When you have Jesus, you have everything. You need nothing and no one. You want to write that down somewhere? When you have Jesus, you add anything to Jesus, you subtracted everything from Jesus. Have you added anyone or anything to Jesus? So I've told you of Paul, right? Not Paul the Apostle who wrote this, but Paul converted through our prison's ministry, Basque. 
and then join our Mandarin ministry because Paul is Chinese speaking. And because of his background, Paul has never finished school, not accomplished academically and was derailed in his life. But by God's grace, he's got a new beginning. So Paul works two jobs. One, as a pump attendant at the petrol kiosk here. He also works as caretaker of the condominium next door. You know how much sleep Paul has on those two back-to-back -back jobs as he tries to live a new life? The answer is not much. I must have told you this story that about two years ago, before COVID, when we still had the New Year's Eve dinner, I just want to ask you, right? Do you miss our New Year's Eve dinner? Only this side said yes. How about this side? I'm just checking. I'm looking this side. Do you miss anything or not? Do you miss our church camp? Do you miss our services? Do you miss the retreats for our children? Do you miss all? We must. And we say in our heart, we don't miss any of those things. We are saying to God, I don't miss the people of God. The people of God you purchased by your blood. So Paul, back to Paul. He bumps up and he speaks mainly Mandarin. I speak mainly English, so we are chicken and duck. And, but, we, but he tries in his English and I try in my Mandarin. Pastor Chris, no, I, I bought one table. No, one table. Out of the hundred tables, he bought one table at New Year's Eve dinner. To invite who? His mother, his sister, the in-laws to come. He's saving scrounge, one whole table. I don't know how much that costs. $30 per head, right? That's quite a bit for him. And then on Friday, my staff said to me, I went out for an early morning meeting and then the whole day was filled with meeting. And staff said to me, Paul, Paul is looking for you. I said, got a busy day. My evening, I've forgotten that Paul was looking for me. And then I got a phone call last thing in the day and the staff said, Paul is still looking for you. <laughs> okay, I'll come up, I'll come up. Do I have another meeting at night? So Paul, how are you? I sat down with him out there, two meters, etc. chatted. And what do you think Paul did? He handed me this ang pao. Say, we, we, we got building, right? Tengah, right? Right, tengah. Say, yeah, we, we have. I, I heard from Mandarin Ministry. We were raising money, right? Yeah, this is my little part. I said, no, Paul, you, you're trying to make ends meet. We, we don't need, we are okay. There are a lot of people who can give, and you've been giving generously. We are, we are, the, the rough update for you is we are two-thirds of the way. And that's great blessing, don't you think? With a 19.2 million target, we are two-thirds of the way. How about you clap? Uh, I have to tell you to clap. Lah. Right. We have crossed the halfway mark. Through one and a half years of fundraising. That's a miracle. More than halfway mark, $12 million. Right? So Paul and I prayed for him. I went back, I said, look at this. It's $1,000. Previously, whatever money he earned when he did drugs was just to pleasure himself and bomb himself out with this. His world revolved around him. He thought he was free, but he was enslaved. Now that he's come to know Christ, he's enslaved to Christ, but he's free. Amen? He's free to do with his life, with his body, what God wants him to do. Remember 1 Corinthians last week? You were bought at a price, you are not your own, therefore glorify God with your bodies. This is what we, are do, we must do. Redemption in Christ. If we are freed in Christ, we are free indeed. We are free to do anything but sin. Isn't that a freedom? 
You're free to do anything but sin. And seated with me yesterday in God's timing, as before I preached this sermon, is so that I could be encouraged that this was a man who thought he was free, but he was a slave. But your life and my life are all microcosms of that. Paul is just more visible with his life. You are invisible with your idolatries. Is that true? Yes. You are invisible with your slaveries. And just in case you think you don't need Jesus, think again. Think again. Because you get struck by this COVID-19, this variant, and there is no remedy for it. Think again, if anything. I told you last week then, four reasons to treasure your bodies. Christ died for this body, the redemption reason. Christ rose for this body. God made this body. God never gave up on this body even though you de we derailed it, Adam and Eve, with rebellion. God never gave up on building the tabernacle though we derailed it with the golden calf. Sin will not have the last word. The mercy of God will triumph over sin. Amen? The mercy of God will triumph over judgment. That's why we can glorify this God. And the Spirit now lives in this body. God has done all this for us. We have four reasons. Do you know what to do with your body, brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you know what to do with your body, with your life, day by day? The body is the person, the person is the body. If you haven't come to believe in Jesus, or whether you believe in Jesus, listen to this. This will affect us in big ways and small ways. Big ways? Listen to Jordan Peterson. You know nothing about Jordan Peterson. He's worth listening to. He's just controversial. He distorts. He dared to stand up in, a, in Canada and America and told them, you do not tell me what pronoun to use. If I see a man, he, he, he is a he. If I see a woman, she is a she. You don't pass a law in Canada telling me what vocabulary and pronouns to do. That shot him into international stardom. They call him the rock star academic. And one thing he wrote, he wrote a book, 12 Rules to Live By. It's worth reading. I'm at chapter one. In one of the videos I listened to, he, one of the chapters he says, and he speaks in this manner to Caucasian young men and women for an hour, two hours in his lectures. He basically scolds them and they sit there lapping it up. Some more. Give me more. You know what he tells them? Get out of your bed. Make your bed. If you can make your bed, then you can change the world. Don't tell me you want to change the world. Climate change, you cannot make your bed. Anybody tells you that, you tell him to go fly kites. But they pay money to listen to this man tell them make their beds. The next thing he told them to do is self-altering. That means, I mean, reflect on your life. You're 18 years old. Reflect on all the good things, the bad things. Journal. In Christendom, we have that. Why do you read the Bible and journal and write something? And from his secular practice of this, he estimates 25 to 30 percent, it has reduced the dropout from US colleges by 25 to 30 percent. Just by you sitting and not bombarding yourself in, 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 on the internet in outer space, just sitting and writing, who am I? What's the purpose of my life? And this is a direct quote from him that the first draft of your life when you self-author or when you journal is better than aimlessness. The first draft of your life, you put something on paper, 
is better than aimlessness, lostnessness, helplessness, and he likes this word nihilism. So many in the West right, suffer from suicidal ideation. If even common sense can make you write down one page and that may find a moral compass for your life, we who have Jesus have much more than self-authoring. We have Jesus authoring our life, the centre of our life. And this coming Christmas and New Year's Eve, you might want to do that. You might want to do that on a big scale. Just sit down and journal together with your husband or wife, with your family. Then the Char family come December 25th, New Year's Eve, December 31st. Our thanksgiving for this COVID-19 year is, our prayers for next year and our spiritual goal is, you think you might be able to do that? So we have a staff meeting every Tuesday. And Marie and Karen and Mona who run the children's church, they say, in the preschool, they have a project. Project to do what? Make cards, make things to bless less fortunate families. Preschool and the parents, so great, right? So I brought this up, so I better use it. Can you still bear with me? Five minutes. I got this yesterday. And it's from one of our deacons, Errol Moore. Right, he came and he preached at the wedding, and solemnized the wedding, and gave me this. Dear Pastor Chris and Mona, we're missing you guys regularly in person. At least one couple misses us. Yeah. And my family, Arian, Ellie, and I did a project during the holidays and wanted to share the fruit of this project, our family project, with you. And what's this project? Very simply, <laughs> charging cable, right? Charging cable. And put something together from, uh, yeah, what's this? Yeah, nice project. You know what? As they gave me this, Mona and I was just struggling with, hey, our charging cable all frayed. We just had that conversation last week. Should we go and buy one, not buy one? I actually bandaged my cable. Right? You want to see my bandaged cable? So God sent a message to Errol. No, he didn't. He just gave me this gift. Isn't it wonderful? So maybe for this Christmas and this new year, a way to use your life in your body is a family project. Let's call it a lab project. Love and bless project. Love and bless others project. Can you undertake that? So November 29, a group of us are going to go out with our Adopt a Dom. You know we adopted a Dom? The migrant workers, to bring them out. Don't squander this holiday, my friends. Don't. So what might you do? What's the other thing I brought? The other thing I brought is, these are all the birthday cards I've designed for the month of December alone. My wife already helped me sign some of them and send them off yesterday. We have 1,700 members. Right? One of our deacons has been helping us all these years. Right? Then they went through a time of difficulty. I said, we'll try and do it. My goodness, that's a whole lot of cards, right? How long do you think it takes to write this? So I, get, I had to get my wife and my daughter to, to help me. What's, what's this? This is lab. Love and bless others. There's so many ways. Yeah. Sorry, this is a recruitment drive. <laughs> you don't ever listen to God's word without any obedience in your life. You don't ever listen to God redeeming you and you thinking that God is toxic in your life, that He cramps your lifestyle. That's a lie of the devil and a lie of this world. When you believe in Christ, you are truly free to serve Him. Amen? 
free to use your time together with your family's time, not to sit in front of a computer and vegetate yourself to eternity without God. You are now free to sit in front of anything and do things so that they can be blessed by your love and your efforts to eternity with God. And so we're so encouraged that the basic camp has 400 youth signing up. Pray for the leaders. 400 youth, at least one person is excited. These things must excite you, right? I'm the moderator of the English Presbytery. I listen to them every year. One wedding in a, another church, you thank God. Two children, you thank God. We got 40, 50 births last year. 51 children born into our midst. And we sit down there, are you another prayer for children? Oh, yeah. Another one. You can't take all these blessings for granted. You cannot. And so, Christmas devotions have started to write. There's a 30-day devotion every day until Christmas and Boxing Day. As you get this on Facebook, Instagram, different platforms that we're going to send it to you, may you not read it and junk it, because Pastor Chris took two hours to write this, you know. May you read it and pass it on to somebody, because this could be the Christmas that changes their life. You believe that? This could be the new year that changes their life. So I end by asking you, thank for your indulgence in hearing this, because I'm not going to be preaching for a while until Christmas and New Year. I thought I'd better give it to you wholesale. Are you experiencing freedom from being enslaved to Christ? Or are you experiencing slavery from your fake freedom to yourself? By the mercy of God in Jesus, you can experience true freedom by being enslaved to Jesus. Let's stand, pray together as the musicians come forward and we sing this closing song. Oh, the mercy of God, the mercy of God. God has spoken His word. We must all listen. As a preacher and your pastor, I've tried to listen. And I pray that all that I say, the meditation of my heart, and the words of my mouth are pleasing to God. I now will lead us in a prayer for us as listeners, that all that God has said to us will bring a redemptive difference to our hearts. The musicians play for us before we sing. Spend some time in honest confession and genuine repentance before God. We come to you, O holy God, knowing that we are undeserving, knowing that left to ourselves, we are unacceptable in all our rebellion, in all our sinfulness, in all our stubborn disobedience. Thank you for teaching us to the book of Exodus in the life of Israel that we are pretty hopeless in waiting upon you. We consider waiting of any kind a vice, and so we take things into our hands. We chase our own idols, we build our own kingdoms, and in all those things we become enslaved to our self-redemption and rescue. Thank you and praise you that you've always promised to tabernacle with your people, that you want to simply dwell with us and us to dwell with you, simply for us to be your sons and daughters and in being your sons and daughters 
we might experience you, O glorious God, and be glorious in your image. We thank you and praise you that you have made it possible through Jesus Christ, our Saviour and our Lord. And so we pray that in understanding that Jesus is the true temple, the meeting place, that faith in Jesus, obedience to Jesus, being born servants of God in Christ and through Christ is what gives us true freedom to live a glorious life unto your service. O Spirit of God, empower us to say no to anything of our flesh that so enslaves and to say yes to everything in Jesus. So may this Christmas and this New Year be a time of redemption. A time of redemption may be a love and bless others project that we don't exist for ourselves, we exist for Jesus. But to glorify you, O God, and may we make a difference as we wait for your glorious return forever and ever.